Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And welcome to 2023, our first episode of the new year. That's right. We made it, Joey. (laughs) This week, we have a weather update for all of you as Joey talks with Chris Smallcomb with the National Weather Service in Reno about all of the snow northern Nevada has had recently, what it means for the rest of the state, the drought, and more. After that, reporter Sean Galanka goes over all of the new state laws going into effect in 2023. At the end of the show, reporter Lucia Starbuck with our friends over at KUNR Reno Public Radio talks with me about a story she worked on about plants in the downtown Reno library and the man that's been watering them for two decades. All right, well, I am here with Chris Smallcomb, the meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service here in Reno, Nevada. Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this snowy uh, Thursday morning. Hey, no, thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be here and actually have some weather to talk about. Oh, yeah, there's there's a lot of weather to talk about. And I think a lot of people have a lot of a lot of things they want to talk about because we've had quite a big storm up here in the north. And so to start out, is this storm that hit abnormal to what we've normally been seeing? Each individual storm by itself is nothing too unusual. We do get hit with pretty robust storms here and there through the course of any winter. I, I do think the thing that's getting a little unusual is that it's just it's a sequence. It just keeps going and going and going and going. You know, one thing that's a little unusual about it is the sheer amount of moisture that is with them. And so then that yields more rainfall or more snowfall than, than your average run-of-the-mill winter storm here in in the Sierra and, and into into the Great Basin. And so, you know, you get a lot of moisture there and you squeeze it out like a giant sponge as it goes up in the mountains. And sometimes there's just so much moisture in that sponge. There's enough left over for Nevada as well. So we always think of Nevada as having this big rain shadow, right? Well, that hasn't really been the case with these storms. We really haven't seen as much of a rain shadow. So we're getting plenty of rain and snow even into the Reno area. And if you look at the meteorology of the situation, the the jet stream, which is that, that stream of air up at 30,000 feet that carries and steers the storms in certain direction, that thing is all the way from like Tokyo to San Francisco. It is like lined up across the Pacific Ocean. And so it keeps just sending these storms and they scoop up enough moisture. And so we just get lots of rain and snow and wind. Yeah. And I, I feel like, I mean, I've lived in Reno for 20 years and this is like one of the deepest snow packs I think I've had in my house in, in East Reno since like I could, I was in maybe like fifth or sixth grade, I think. It, it definitely, yeah, it's definitely a pretty thick snowpack. We have had other years where it's been, it's been pretty, pretty dense at this time of year. 2017 was, was one, but you know, in the lower elevations for us to have this much snow on the ground, is is a little unusual and and so that always leads everybody into the oh my goodness are we gonna flood now you know because all this water on the ground and things like that so asking you know you know i I know people expect weathermen to be predictors of the future right and i'm gonna ask you that and you know if you're if you're wrong it's all your fault right but (laughs) what can we kind of expect for the rest (laughs) what can we kind of expect for the rest of the winter you know we live in nevada so i'm gonna roll the dice right you know i think at this point For the rest of January, you know, we'll use the dice analogy. The dice are loaded toward a what are the normal outcome for January. So we've got all these storms in the sequence coming into the West Coast. You know, things just look favorable for what are the normal January. Now, for February and March, eh, very much uncertain. So the, the dice aren't loaded at all. We could roll a dry pattern, we could roll a continued wet pattern at that point or or something more normal at this juncture. Yeah. 
how how has this storm helped with the drought that we've kind of always been talking about, right? It's always in the news, the drought, but but it, is this storm helping with that? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, we're we're definitely the, the this is the time of year we need to see big storms to help with the drought. The stuff in the summer is, uh, you know, it, it might locally help here and there, but we really need rainfall. We need snowpack in the mountains to help with the, with the drought. And we're at the point now, we're about a month ahead of normal on our snowpack, over 200% of average for the, for the date. And, and so we're in a really good position to eat away out at the drought condition. You know, plenty of water likely at, the, at this point, barring some just super anomalous dry February or March, which of course we can't rule out after what happened last year. But, you know, at this point, we're looking really good in terms of improvements on the on the drought situation. So one thing that I've heard is that, you know, one big year of snow or of rain or of water doesn't really solve the drought. You kind of need continuous years. So at what point can we consider, you know, this continuous cycle of of, of precipitation to be like ending the drought in some way? Yeah, no, good question. So, you know, it's like, it, it depends who you're talking to. You know, if you're talking to like the ski industry or even water suppliers, if they have one really good winter, hey, that's great. You know, that's their, you know, they're, they're back in business. They're happy. You know, we can, we can start recharging the lakes and reservoirs and things like that. But there's a lot of other sectors. They need that repeated, at least average, if not above average precipitation winter. One of the key ones in our area is the vegetation, especially the mountains with the timber. You know, a lot of that stuff is super stressed still. And I'm up there running all the time and it, it shows it after the droughts we've had over the last five to 10 years. And so one good year doesn't fix all that. And so we ideally for that, we need a couple, you know, a couple really good years to help out some of the vegetation. So how do storms like this affect the rest of Nevada, like eastern Nevada and southern Nevada? Are they getting any residuals from this? Yeah, you know, for the most part, the snowpack is doing really well across the entire state, above normal. In fact, you know, even northern Nevada, that 200% of normal is across a good chunk of northern Nevada. Those atmospheric rivers, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there is almost virtually no rain shadow. You know, that, that, that is not a thing this year, it seems like. And so all that moisture is still coming right on into Reno. And it's following Interstate 80 and Highway 50 all the way across northern Nevada, even into Utah, further south in, in, in southern Nevada. You know, storms have been a little bit more hit and miss, but that's what we'd actually expect out of a La Nina pattern where you'd see less frequent storms than normal to, to the south. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that La Nina pattern. So we are, we're in a La Nina year right now. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and why that kind of creates the environment that we're in right now? Yeah, most definitely. So, you know, when we, whenever we go into winter outlook, you know, if I get briefings on, hey, what do we expect for this winter? Everybody's, oh, is it El Nino or La Nina? And so what that is, is we're looking way down in the tropical Pacific Ocean. So, you know, think like Peru, south of Hawaii, you know, that area. And we're looking for, is the temperature of that ocean water cooler than normal or warmer than normal? And it kind of oscillates back and forth on variable frequencies, you know, roughly, let's say every four years or so, it bounces around. So La Nina is when that's cooler than normal. El Nino is when it's warmer than normal. And so that the, the, the body of water is so big that that actually helps affect where the jet stream goes. So in a La Nina winter, which we are in right now, that tends to, on average, steer the storm track further to the north. So the Pacific Northwest gets more frequent storms. The Southwest gets less frequent storms. So for a chunk of Nevada, we're in between. You know, if you're here in northern Nevada, it's like, well, we're in between. And so if you look at the data, 
we've had very wet La Niña's and we've also had very dry La Niña. So actually El Niño and La Niña for Northern Nevada typically doesn't mean a whole lot. Now, for Southern Nevada, that is where for La Niña, to use the analogy again, the dice are loaded toward that drier than normal outcome, less frequent storms. Now, it does not guarantee that's going to be drier than normal. It just leans us in that direction. Is Nevada prepared for storms like this? You know, those thousands of people were left without power for, you know, a couple of days. Yeah, you know, I think I think living in Nevada, we are used to extreme weather. We're used to extreme oscillations in the weather. We go from days or months on end with nothing, and then boom, all of a sudden we have a flood or a big storm or a wind event or, or something like that. And uh, so I think we're accustomed to it. And, I, and, and we, we work with, you know, public safety partners in government and the private sector, and they're all in tune with the weather. They're all looking at our forecasts and they're all ready for it. As you mentioned, you know, the forecasts aren't perfect. You know, we had the New Year's Eve event where the, where the rain snow line came down quite a bit more than, than what we had forecast about 12 hours sooner, which honestly saved our bacon from a flood event, to be honest, because we had l- less come down as rain. But when you have those big, fat, you know, half dollar size snowflakes coming down and they're sticking to everything, you're going to have impacts to trees and power lines. And that, you know, I see that in my neighborhood here in Sparks as well. We came home to 10 inches of heavy wet snow to shovel in the driveway. And then I'm out there, you know, in the backyard and the trees are covered in snow and they're like sagging. I'm like, oh my goodness, we're going to, they're going to, they're great. So, so naturally, what do you do, right? You start throwing things up in the tree to knock the snow down. So, there's a couple of the kids' toys and a broom stuck up in the tree now because, well, that didn't work out too well. So we'll just have to wait for those to come down. Yeah, we've. I think I think we've got a rake up in a tree. Yep. All right. There we go. We're we're good. Good hands. Yep. <laughs> so why is it then that that these storms can look different than they're predicted? You know, Reno, like you said, they were people were preparing for a flood. There were sandbags, and then you know we ended up getting the snow. Yeah, and then and that. It's just the nature of the beast, you know. Me, you know, meteorology is is not a perfect science at this point. We can kind of give you the the bounds of scenarios of, of things that may occur, but honestly, looking back at that New Year's Eve event, the the fact that the air mass cooled as much as it did was not really in our scenarios. This one was just one of those events where you just couldn't anticipate it coming. You know, our meteorologists went back and looked at the data and like, oh, was there something we could have seen? a day ahead of time that would have told us it was going to be more snow and not as much rain. And there really, honestly, in all the models we have, the sophisticated models that we have, there really wasn't anything. So this is just one of those events where it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes the forecast busts in a, in, in a big way as, as good as, as good as the models are getting these days. So how can Nevadans better prepare themselves for these abnormal and extreme weather events? You know, I think first and foremost is just be aware of the forecast. You know, make it part of your daily routine, even in the middle of summer, right? You know, there's nothing going on. Still, just take a look at the weather forecast. You know, spend a couple minutes each day. Go on your phone. Go to the weather service site. We're always happy to have you on, the, on our website to, to take a look at that seven-day forecast. And, and just be aware of those, of just what's, what's coming. You know, and especially in winter time, I think it's really important for folks to look at the forecast for the next day, because that's when our, our accuracy tends to, not always, of course, <laughs> be, be better. And that way you can anticipate your day ahead. Do you, do you struggle to get the word out to vulnerable populations such as, you know, like seniors or, or you know, people that don't speak English well or people that just aren't checking their phones or don't have, a, you know, a smartphone? I, honestly, I think it's definitely an avenue that we, we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, I think 
Another example are, you know, the homeless populations. You know, how do you communicate with them? You know, a lot of them live in flood prone areas, right? And and so how do you get the word out? And so that's where we we really work with our partner agencies to to help them, you know, get the word to to the vulnerable populations like the homeless that hey, flooding is coming or it's gonna get really cold and here's where the shelters are and, and, and things like that. So that's where we we leverage our relationships with other public safety agencies because they're they're definitely in tune with with those vulnerable populations. And and so I think that's how we see the best way of getting weather information. Yeah. So I, I want to zoom out a little bit away from Nevada and just talk about weather kind of a little bit more broadly here, um, which is just, you know, I, I was watching the news and all the stuff that was happening in Buffalo, right? Like the crazy, crazy storms. Stuff. So how is it that, you know, like in this day and age, people can be so blindsided by a storm like that and then it can become really deadly and destructive. Yeah, for these high-end historic events, it's often not until we're it's right at our doorstep that we know it's going to be something really, really big. And so that's where constantly checking the weather forecast should be part of everybody's day. I also think, and this is just my take on it, is you know I think there's a sense of like, oh, it can't happen to me. You know, I, you know, I I've driven in snow before, so this is nothing new. You know, I can get out in snow, and you know. And then it's just these these little decisions that add up to an unfortunate unfortunate end. And so I I get it. I mean I'm I, I'm an ultra runner. I'm I'm outside all the time, and I and, and and I probably made decisions I shouldn't have, like especially with regards to thunderstorms in the summer and being on mountaintops and things like that. So I get it. But you know, so therefore I don't necessarily have any advice. You know, just you know, just maintaining awareness of the weather around you, trying to make the best decisions you you can, erring on the side of caution. But these are big events. Yeah, the the Buffalo Lake effect event was like just wow, how much snow, how how quickly it came down. Cool. Well, is there anything I didn't ask that you feel like you need to talk about about this the the weather recently before we wrap up? You know, I think uh, I'm just thinking of things that people have asked me already, you know, like in terms of briefings and stuff. And and one one thing folks have already started asking me about is like, oh, spring flooding. You know, the snow melts. You know, it's all going to melt and we're all going to flood. And, and you know, anytime you get a big snowpack or an above normal snowpack, that's, that is always a concern as we head into like April, May and June. If we get that early season heat wave and the snow melts off really fast, we're still way too soon to tell on that. It's we we honestly need to get it into February. Before, that'll tell us more about how the snowpack is shaping up, both in terms of amount and the temperature, how wet is it? Is it ready to melt? Or is it cold enough where it's kind of like a sponge and it's going to take a while to, to melt off into the, into the rivers and such? So right now, to answer anybody's questions about that, it's still way too soon to, to call on that. But that being said, we are on a trajectory, given that their snowpack is 200% normal, that, you know, it, it's something to definitely keep an eye on. Cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I would love having you on the podcast to talk about weather, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. There's always something to talk about in weather. Definitely. Thank you. Well, from something that can be unpredictable like snow to something that we've known about for a while now, we're talking about new laws. That's right. Some of the bills that were passed in the 2021 legislative session are only just now taking effect a year and a half later. So to go over those new laws that kicked in on New Year's, reporter Sean Galanka joins us. 
All right. Well, I am here with reporter Sean Galanka to talk about new laws in Nevada. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. Good to be here, Joey. Glad to be here in the new year as well. Yes, happy 2023. Back hitting the ground running. So, you know, January 1st comes around, new laws come into effect that were signed last year, right? That's how that works? Yeah, well, actually, signed two years ago now, Joey, I guess. Oh, right, maybe, right, right. Maybe a little closer to a year and a half than two. But these laws that just took effect this January 1st were all passed during the 2021 legislative session. So these are really the the last ones to finally take effect after they had been passed during that time. Yeah. And most of these new laws actually ended up going into effect at the beginning of 2022, right? Right. So there's a there's a whole bunch of different effective dates with, you know, hundreds of bills were passed during that 2021 legislative session. Some might have taken effect right when they were signed into law. Some might have taken effect October of that year is a a big date for new laws. Some might have taken effect January 1st of the following year or even July 1st of the following year. So there's really a smattering of different effective dates for these new laws. But January 1st of two years later is really kind of the last checkpoint of getting those laws on the books. And is there a reason that these ones came so much later than the other ones? With some of the the changes posed by these new laws, it took more time for some of the like you know state or local agencies to be able to make the administrative changes necessary to to finally put them in effect and act on them. So there's six uh, these uh, these are the last six from from the 2021 session. There's really one big one, and then there's five kind of smaller ones. So let's talk about that big one first, which is about traffic tickets, right? Yeah, so really the the key bill taking effect, it is a pretty significant change. Basically, minor traffic violations have been decriminalized. So that means no jail time for those, for people who might be unable to pay their fines associated with those traffic tickets. There will no longer be warrants issued for not paying fines for those. And so that can include something like driving with broken taillights, carrying people in the bed of a truck, some low-level speeding, things that are more minor traffic offenses, things like DUIs and, and reckless driving, those remain criminalized and those have higher penalties associated with them. But now, no more criminal penalties for these minor traffic violations. Yeah, so if I got a ticket for a broken taillight, they couldn't, they couldn't issue a warrant for my arrest if I didn't pay the fine, right? That is correct, Joey. You still have to pay your fines. You just won't be arrested for it. But there, there are certainly ways that the courts and, and the criminal justice system could punish you for, for not doing so. Okay, well, that's good to know. Maybe I will fix it then. <laughs> so uh, there are five other ones that are, you know, less, less, they're not going to impact everybody in the state as, as, as widely, right? So what are those other five? Let's do a little rapid fire here. Yeah, a little rapid fire. So another one on the list is annual mental health checkups for police officers. I think this kind of came in recognition of what was going on in, in the pandemic and protests in the summer of 2020, basically saying this is a mentally intensive job. So now we're going to require these annual behavioral wellness visits for, for police officers throughout the state. Another one on that list was closing the classic car loophole. So back in 2011, Nevada lawmakers changed the law, basically redefining what it means for a classic car to get that special license plate that you've probably seen. And so Basically, any car that was old enough and drove less than 5,000 miles a year could qualify for that plate that alters the kind of smog checks and requirements for cars. And so people were upset that basically this was allowing very polluting old cars to 
skirt the smog checks and just kind of add more pollution to the environment. But basically with the change now to get that special license plate, you have to have a certain kind of classic car insurance. So you have to prove that, okay, this isn't just an old car that doesn't drive around very much. It actually is a, a like an antique vehicle that is used for this specific kind of club exhibition. Another one on the list is requiring ID checks for individuals under 40 trying to purchase tobacco products. This basically raises that limit. So someone appears to be under 40 years old, then their ID for sure has to be checked for them to buy cigarettes, uh, vapes. But the, the, the age limit is still 21. Right. Yeah. So you still have to be 21 to buy it. It's just now that if you're under 40 at all, your ID still has to be checked. And finally, we have uh, basically a, a change for large HOAs, homeowners associations, usually at, at bigger apartment units that have a, a very large number, 150 or more units. A previous part of this bill that already took effect required those HOAs to establish online portals that included things like meeting materials, HOA documents. And now that this part of the bill takes effect, it basically says that those online portals have to allow members to pay their HOA fees online. All right. Well, I'm sure next year, after the legislative session that's coming up here in February, we'll have a lot more laws coming into effect, probably also in October and stuff as well. So we'll be keeping an eye on all of those as they as they start to get passed. Sean, thank you so much for joining me, and we look forward to hearing more of your reporting soon. Thank you, Joey. From laws to libraries, we are headed to downtown Reno to learn about one library that has a unique interior design. KUNR reporter Lucia Starbuck has the story and talks with Joey about what she learned while reporting on it. So Lucia Starbuck is the democracy reporter for our partners over at KUNR Reno Public Radio. Thanks for joining me, Lucia. Yes, thanks for inviting me, Joey. Yeah, yeah. And so to start off, there's this library in downtown Reno, and it is it is covered in plants. And that's what your, your story focused on one person kind of in that library who's been watering these plants for 20 years. But tell me a little bit, when you walk into the library, you know, what are you seeing? You see green. Like, it's so beautiful. There's this walkway, and I kind of write about it. You're just immediately met with these lush green plants. Our editor asked us to do a story for the holidays. I love plants. I was super interested in, like, who takes care of these. Yeah, your story, you know, focused on the guy that takes care of them. So let's actually hear that story now. When you enter the library, you are greeted by lush green plants with a web of leaves and branches on either side of you, reaching to the bright skylights above. One person has watered the greenery once a week for 20 years. My name is Leon Lewis. I take care of all the plants, keep them alive. Lewis spends the first part of his evening plucking dead yellow leaves. It causes the plant to lose energy trying to rescue it, and it can't be rescued. He also gets plant arranging assignments from library staff, including branch manager Kristen Ryan. Perfect. Yeah, because I think one of the branches were from the people who are sitting at reference. They have a great view of the new meeting room, but the one plant was kind of blocking Some plants are growing straight out of the ground, and others are in large suspended salad bowl planters. Vines fall from the walkway above. An avocado tree stretches 35 feet high. Lewis says he can name about half the plants. Philodendrons, spider plants hanging up there, 
ivy, got some aloe vera plants. A 1965 excerpt from the Reno Evening Gazette reads, patrons of the new Washoe County Library won't have to look outside for a botanical view. Many of the newer plants have been donated after they've become too big for someone's home. While I was with Lewis, a plant owner left their contact info. <laughs> this is where it begins. Yes. He says people sometimes come to visit their plants after donation. After pulling as many yellow leaves as he can see, Lewis unrolls the 230-foot hose. By the time I get done watering this whole library, it's pretty humid in here. Lewis is an Air Force veteran and has worked as a bartender and a DJ. He's run his company, Green Interiors, since the early 90s. Oh, I can do plants, because I had a bunch in my house. So I just thought, well, let's just take that out in the world. Lewis says job security comes down to keeping the plants looking good. Lucia Starbuck, KUNR News. So I, I love the piece. It's super fun. Leon just seems like such a, a fun, interesting guy. The downtown Reno Library is is a pretty unique building, like we talked about, you know, with all those plants when you walk in, you first walk in and you're hit with like, it's like a forest. It's like a jungle. And there's actually yeah. a couple other interesting buildings kind of like that in Reno. I can think of like the William J. Raggio Education Building on the UNR campus has like huge trees that are like two stories tall that are going up through the middle of the building. And then if you're going down to Vegas, there's places like the Bellagio Conservatory, which just has a ton of plants. So this is something that I would say is pretty kind of rare and unique, though. You don't see a lot of buildings kind of with these indoor jungles, right? Yeah. And it's funny that you brought that up because now when I go to other places and I see plants, I'm kind of curious <laughs> who takes care of them. But this library is kind of known for its plants. I mean, it has I, I think three or four stories filled. You have plants growing straight out of the ground. You have, you know, beautiful vines falling. You have these kind of what I've found best to describe like a salad bowl planter just filled with plants. I mean, there's different kinds, different shapes, different shades. Like it's filled and it's it's known for the, the plants inside. What's kind of the, the the feeling that those plants give you? Is it like a comforting feeling? Ooh, it's interesting because the past few times I've been in there have actually been for voting because it's it's usually a voting site. So I'm usually thinking election related. It definitely has a calming effect. Um, I think it's the city of Reno who does it, but it's called community court. And so it's for kind of minor violations. Um, honest, to be honest, like typically given to people experiencing homelessness. And instead of fines or jail time, they're actually um, told to do community service. So it's kind of trying to break the cycle of people being arrested. And it's held at the library. And kind of the idea behind that is that it does give a more calming effect than a traditional courtroom setting. You, you dug up this headline from, from the Reno Gazette Journal from the 60s. I think it was 65, you said in your story. Was this a popular trend in the 60s? You know, these plants and buildings like this? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm so glad I was able to include that newspaper clipping. I actually asked the library, I was like, oh, do you have any old photos? And I got like much more than I expected. Like, I thought that was so cool to see. So I'm actually, I'm not sure if it 
If putting plants inside was a trend, I think I picked up on maybe some drama that existed. According to that newspaper clipping, it did say that the library was supposed to be along the Truckee River where Wingfield Park is. And I guess it got moved. It seems like maybe there is some drama there. And the architect was like, well, okay, I'll put the park inside. So I'm not sure if it was a trend, but maybe some Reno drama back in the day. <laughs> for for our Vegas listeners, uh, the downtown Reno library is kind of pulled a couple blocks up from the Truckee. If you've ever been to Reno, there's like the theater. It's a few, it's like a block or two up from that. Uh, and then Wingfield Park is along the Truckee River, which runs through the middle of town and is you know, kind of a, a gathering area for a lot of people and a lot of events and stuff. But there's a park there. And the library is, uh, you know, a little bit further in from in the river. So potential uh, 60s drama there, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so to wrap up, I just wanted to know, why Why did you want to report on the story? Like, what made you kind of interested in it? Ooh, I actually did a longer piece about millennials and Gen Z fueling the houseplant boom during the pandemic. You know, people are at home and they're buying plants and they're affordable. However, you know, while I was doing the plant story, the library was on my mind and I just kind of threw it out there. You know, I asked the library who takes care of them and they kind of gave me his his email and I, I emailed and, and Leon was just like, yep, I, I, I've been taking care of them. Come stop on by. And so it, and I I didn't know if it was going to fit in my house plant story, but I knew that I wanted to profile him and I knew that. Um, people loved the space. And I was just super curious who takes care of them. And it's been really cool, kind of this outpouring of of love and support for the library. People are sharing their memories. They're like, oh, this was a place I visited when I first moved, or I tell visitors to come see it. And like people thanking Leon for his service. So it's been really cool. Has this uh, encouraged you to have more houseplants or, or try to, you know, create an environment similar to that in your own in your own workspace? <laughs> yes, tr- trying my best. I am trying my own little mini indoor garden. You know, I, pl- plants have died and I'm, I'm sorry to those plants, but all I can do is really try and try to remember to water them. So I guess, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. This show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Michelle Rendells. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at com. Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. I ate, um, ate two day old Chinese food and it is oh, roiling. Jacob, roiling Jacob, my existence. Jacob, please. Jacob, no. It was <laughs> there. It was ready. <laughs>